Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. It is currently the third day of the 2020 Philadelphia Church of God Ministerial Conference. And it's also December 25th, the day that the world is celebrating Christmas. I've had the opportunity last couple times I've been on the radio, uh, or at least a few out of the recent times I've been on the radio, to speak on actual very significant dates. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was speaking on December 7th for Behind the Work. And of course, that is the anniversary of the start of the Philadelphia Church of God in 1989. So when I speak on days that have these kinds of standout dates, it pretty much makes it easy for me to pick a, a subject. So like I said, this is the day of Christmas. Perhaps you are listening to this while sitting next to your Christmas tree or unwrapping your presents at home. And I don't want to be the so-called Grinch who spoils Christmas. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, being a downer about this pagan holiday. We will quickly go through some reasons why God doesn't like this day, but we will spend a whole lot of the time discussing a more positive alternative to Christmas. I've learned this a lot in raising children and in other teaching capacities that if we just spend the whole time saying, don't do this, you can't do that, and being restrictive, it's not nearly as effective. It's, it's always good to present a positive alternative something that we can do instead that will actually make us a whole lot happier. And this is not the type of alternative as maybe replacing a juicy steak with a veggie patty and then being told that we won't even notice the difference. This is actually quite the big upgrade from Christmas. It's actually pretty much common knowledge that Christmas comes from pagan origins. Now, maybe not everyone knows this, but a lot of people do. A lot of professing Christians know this. And they think that part of the incredible nature of Christmas, part of the miracle of Christmas even, is that God could transform something that was once evil into something good. In fact, there's a nice article at the Trumpet, or actually at PCG.Church from yesterday, titled, Christmas is Pagan, So What? by Mr. Mark Jenkins. I would really encourage you to read this for yourself, and I'll put it in the show notes later. But it just shows that it really isn't possible to use evil for good. We also have an excellent booklet available to you for free at thetrumpet.com titled The Truth About Christmas. It is a booklet that I was reading this morning, and it really is fascinating. 
just to go through all of the history, where Christmas really came from, and what God actually thinks about it. So often when we hear reasons for keeping Christmas, we, we actually have to realize that these reasons come from human minds. They're our own reasons. And very rarely are people actually asking or wondering about what God thinks about it. There are some really helpful uh, scriptures regarding this, though. Uh, we can just go through a few uh, quickly. And remember, it is important as Christians to try to find a Bible reason for everything we do. Now, quite often, God does not deliver a specific command about specific parts of our lives. He doesn't have five million commands to cover every possible scenario we could ever face in day-to-day -day life. That simply is not how it is done. God gives the Ten Commandments, and he says, apply the letter of the law and also the spirit of the law. Use judgment. Use wisdom. Get counsel from ministers of God. And live your life according to the guidance of God's law. He does not, he does not look over our shoulders and nitpick and take away every opportunity we might have to make choices using wisdom. However, there are also times where God does make specific commands. And it is extremely important that we obey those. Jeremiah 10 has a warning. And just notice how specific this warning is to the festival of Christmas. Jeremiah 10, starting in verse 1. Hear you the word which the Eternal speaks unto you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Eternal, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. Now that booklet I mentioned, The Truth About Christmas, for free at thetrumpet.com, does prove that Christmas traces all the way back to Nimrod. The Bible describes Nimrod as a mighty hunter against God, as a rebel against God. And he set up this entire false religious system. This system even involved child sacrifice. We think we're so much more sophisticated than that, but there are forms of child sacrifice going on to this day. But really, a lot of that started with Nimrod. And he was worshiping the sun. He was worshiping the creation around him. You know, animals, plants, the sun. And yet not worshiping the creator of all that. And this, he specifically worshiped the sun. And like I said, that did involve child sacrifice. This false religious system spread around the world. In any culture where you have a dominant male-female tandem, that really does trace back to Nimrod and his mother-slash-wife, Semiramis. There are some 
interesting articles at our sister website, watchjerusalem.co.il, about a lot of the cultures the ancient Israelites encountered in the Promised Land. These cultures also practiced child sacrifice. Now, a lot of mothers would toss their own babies into the fire, or there would be these large metal idols with outstretched hands, and the babies would place, or the mothers would place their babies into the hands of these idols. These idols would be heated up by fire, and the babies would be screaming and writhing in agony as they burned alive on these metal hands. And so it was the custom for there to be this wild dancing and screaming and beating of the drums to try to drown out the screams of the children. And this was all part of the religious system the ancient Israelites encountered as they tried to take the promised land. This was the type of religious system that the Israelites often compromised with. And you could see why God would absolutely hate this. But continuing here, Jeremiah 10 and then verse 3. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cuts a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. So... The prophet Jeremiah is explaining what God thinks about this celebration of Christmas, which he's explaining about Christmas 600, 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. So we know it's not actually originally a celebration of Christ's birthday. Now, even secular historians will tell you that if, if you're looking into the Bible, the only time you'll find people celebrating birthdays, it's a bad thing. God has never commanded that anyone celebrate Christ's birthday. We are to memorialize his death, which we will talk about a bit later. But it's amazing. Did you know that God ever gets so specific about Christmas in the Bible? Jeremiah 10 verses 1 through 4 right there. These religious systems, these customs that are at the very least vain, but like I said, when they involve child sacrifice, the, the wording against that gets a lot stronger. Deuteronomy 12, verses 30 and 31. Take heed to yourself that you be not snared by following them, after that they be destroyed from before you, and that you inquire not after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. You shall not do so unto the eternal your God. For every abomination to the eternal, which he hates, have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire to their gods. You see, this pagan religious system from which Christmas originates in many ways centered around child sacrifice so just use a little bit of common sense do you really think god would transform that brand of evil into good could he really tolerate us 
appropriating this pagan day to then celebrate Christ's birthday? Does that make any sense? This is a day really that ultimately worships Nimrod and then worships Satan by extension. Notice Matthew 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. So in this case, you have Nimrod on one side and you have God on the other. You can't reconcile the two. You can't serve the two. You can't in any way celebrate both of them at the same time. And there's no way God would ever be pleased by that. We have a lot of great content here, like I said, though, that would give us a positive alternative. There are some pleasant memories that a lot of people have made associated with Christmas over the years. And there are a lot of understandable, relatable reasons that people come up with for keeping it. I don't want to sit here and, and bash everyone who's ever observed Christmas. There are a lot of ways where we might think it is a pleasant, enjoyable day that we spend with family, where we receive gifts. But like I said, I would just encourage you to think about this with an open mind and to certainly go through that booklet, The Truth About Christmas, which is available for free, like I said, at thetrumpet.com. There's also another booklet, though, at thetrumpet.com. This one's titled Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which... Here is the alternative. You have the pagan day of Christmas, other pagan days like Easter or Halloween or New Year's Eve, New Year's itself. These are all days that relate to ancient pagan worship customs, which is why true Christians don't keep them. There are also a lot of other holidays, though, that don't have anything to do with pagan worship. Independence Day here in America, Thanksgiving, Labor Day, Memorial Day, President's Day, Columbus Day. There's nothing at all wrong with keeping any of those. And in fact, there are some really positive aspects to keeping them. So it's not like we're saying get rid of every holiday observance. It's nice to have a day off from work once in a while. It's nice to get together with family. But again, we cannot take pagan customs and twist them into trying to worship God. God says that's an abomination that he hates. Here in the Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days Witch booklet, the late educator and theologian Herbert W. Armstrong wrote, When God gave his church seven annual Sabbaths, God, in his wisdom, had a great purpose. These days were given to keep God's children in the true memory and worship of God by keeping us constantly in the understanding of God's great plan of redemption. 
For these annual days, picture the different epochs in the plan of spiritual creation. Mark the dispensations and picture their meaning. The whole story of spiritual regeneration was, in these feast days, to be reenacted year after year continually. They have vitally important symbolism and meaning. Here are some days that actually give us better spiritual vision. These days picture God's master plan for mankind. These days give us an understanding of the entire 6,000-year scope of human history and then into infinity and beyond. Isn't that incredible? Aren't these days that can really uplift us and encourage us? These These seven annual observances... Mr. Armstrong continued here. God's feasts or holy days or Sabbaths were commanded to be kept year after year and forever. You see, here's an instance where God does get specific. He does make a command directly related to these Sabbath days, these annual Sabbaths, these annual observances. And he says here, we ask the reader to retain an open mind, for we shall prove that forever, in this case, means forever. Thus God purposed to impress the truths of these high Sabbath picture upon all the minds of his children through all time, keeping his church in the true understanding of his plan. There is a really helpful Summary of God's Holy Days posted at pcg.church. You can find it pretty quickly if you just search Holy Days on that website, pcg.church. A summary of God's Holy Days. Here is the better alternative. Here is a way that God has specifically commanded us to worship Him. He does care how we worship him he doesn't want us to take a false religious system that included child sacrifice and try to turn that into a way to honor him now of course that makes sense when we view it that way hopefully a summary of god's holy days this starts out with passover this is the most somber day of the entire year for true Christians. This is a day that only the converted, the baptized can observe. And it's a day that Christ was instructing his followers about until right before he died. He changed the symbols of the Passover the night before he was crucified. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. Now, these are days that might seem strange to those unfamiliar with them. On this night, we gather and there is a foot washing ceremony. You remember the story where Christ 
washed Peter's feet. And Peter tried to rebuke Christ for doing so. And Christ taught him about that kind of foot-washing humility, that kind of service-oriented mentality. That's the childlike, meek, humble, repentant attitude we need to go into the Passover with. So that takes place pretty well at the beginning of the Passover service. There's also these symbols of the small piece of bread and the little bit of wine, symbolizing Christ's broken body in the bread and then his blood in the wine. So you have the broken body to pay for our physical sins, the sins that lead to physical sickness, injury, and death. And then you've got the blood that paid for our spiritual sins, breaking the Ten Commandments. The type of sins that flood the earth today and cause untold, horrible problems. Problems beyond our ability to count. And here, God allowed his own son to be brutally beaten and murdered to pay for all of those sins. But, as the very next annual observance in God's holy day plan shows us, it's not so that we can go forward doing whatever we want and continuing in sin. Just one full day after the Passover is observed, the days of unleavened bread begin. This summary of God's holy days, which you can find at pcg.church and in the show notes later, says, It is commanded for the clear and specific purpose of reminding us of the continual need to become completely sinless. Right after the Passover, right after we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to pay for all of our sins, and we're reminded of the magnitude of that sacrifice, we go into this seven-day festival. A high holy day on the first day and another on the seventh day. These are days where we rejoice and we give to God. And this whole entire festival, we go without eating any leavened products. In fact, leading up to this festival, for weeks and months of preparation, we're getting rid of all leavening from our property, from our homes, our cars, our trash cans, our office spaces, our lockers, a complete purge of all of it. Because during this festival, leaven is a type of sin, which we want to get rid of. And we replace that with unleavened bread during these seven days. Again, not just telling ourselves, okay, we can't do this and we can't do that and being restricted, but replacing that with a better alternative. We get rid of the sin and we put good thoughts and good actions into our lives. That's what it's all about. It says here, we are not capable of freeing ourselves. We need God. He always provides a way of escape. This is a promise. 
God's goal is to prove to us that he is our only hope. That's right. Physically, we simply cannot get rid of sin. We need God's help. The next step in this plan, Pentecost. This shows us the timing of God's plan. In the May 1985 Good News, Mr. Armstrong wrote, Pentecost teaches us that we of the true church are the first fruits only, the first to receive salvation through Christ. It teaches us that all others are not yet called. The whole world soon will have a chance, but they aren't getting that chance just yet. That's what we learned from Pentecost. There is no such thing as heaven versus hell where we're striving to save every soul right now. There is a timing to God's plan. The first fruits are called out to be teachers of everyone else in the world when that right time comes. Next, we go into from the spring holy day season, the fall holy day season, starting with the Feast of Trumpets. And this summary says it's the key that unlocks the millennium. It pictures the return of Jesus Christ the establishment of a new world government. Then the Day of Atonement, which is about becoming one with God. It's about putting Satan away for 1,000 years after Christ's return so that human beings finally can come into contact with God without having this constant resistance from the devil. Then there's the Feast of Tabernacles, Every year, we save up a tenth of all of our income so that we can rejoice at this feast for seven days. And this pictures the millennium. Perfect world government, universal peace and prosperity, safety. It's a better time. The whole world will be rebuilt. And finally, right after that seventh day of the feast is a separate holy day, the last great day, which pictures the great white throne judgment. All who have ever lived and died, not knowing God, will have a chance. They will be resurrected, and they will be given a full lifetime to choose whether they want to follow God and be happy forever. So this is God's holy day plan. This is his way of replacing days like Christmas. He always gives us something far better than whatever we have to give up to follow him. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.